0: Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. In this podcast, I look beyond the easels, the sketchbooks, and the iPads to discover what it means to be an artist. Join me as I speak to other creatives about their journey, as well as reflecting on my own artwork and experiences. Episode 77, Google Doodles, Route 66, and the Animated Sketchbook Journey with Matthew Cruikshank. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Just a few updates, and then we'll jump into the interview. There's an important day this week for Star Wars fans, and that is May the 4th. (laughs) Always fun to celebrate that. But there's also another significant day for me and the podcast, and that is May the 6th. And it was three years ago that day that I launched the first episode. So it's an important week. I wanted to just mention that and thank all of you for following along in my journey and sharing yours with me and being part of these conversations. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed connecting with everyone my guests, and the listeners of the show as well. I want to thank all the people that support me through Patreon, and those that also have recently supported me through this uh, Buy Me a Coffee or Buy Me a Brush initiative as well, uh, which allows you to kind of provide a one-time donation and kind of keeping the show going and covering some of the fees in doing this. So I just wanted to thank all of you, even if you're just listening. I just want to thank you for putting the time aside and listening to these episodes. I really do appreciate it. So the other thing that's happening this coming week is I'm going to be a guest on a podcast. So my friends over at Make Do, that is Julia Scott and Tiff Arment, invited me on to talk about my journey. And we have a wonderful chat. I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, you have to go and check out Make Do. I'll provide a link in the show notes. So it will be episode 102, which comes out this week just after uh, Drawing Inspiration. And I encourage you to check it out. We, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoy their podcast it is um and every time it comes out it goes to the top of my feed so i can listen to it immediately i just enjoy their honesty their creativity uh, their insight it was uh, it was so much fun talking to to both uh, julia and tiff so uh, please check it out and uh, let me know what you think so i've been working through doing some more artwork i think i've been really productive lately when i was looking at my instagram feed and uh, looking between the last show and now, I've done quite a bit. So I've been really enjoying sketching with these Micron pens. I've um, using 005 with the sepia ink. And then after I do a quick sketch with no pencil, once again, just trying to work on sketching straight to ink, and then coming at it with some watercolor. It's been a lot of fun. I've been uh, trying to be loose at times, and other times I'm trying to get a little bit more detail. And it was... I just, I really like this. It's a small little sketchbook I'm using and uh, it's an A6 size, which is pretty tiny, and I'm able to throw some of these images in, like the uh, the frog and the butterfly, and the mouse in the tulip. All of these have their own little challenges trying to get those water droplets on the tulip, or trying to... the frog and butterfly are something I put together myself, and so that was kind of fun to mix those two colors and have them complement each other, and getting some of the shadows right, so that was kind of fun. I also did a butterfly, and and for some people, the firefly larva that I did was maybe a little bit too much, but I just thought this was a beautiful little insect. Uh, it was really tiny. It was like maybe 10 millimeters long, but I had no idea it was a firefly, and I love fireflies. And so seeing this crawling around the garden, of course, I had to draw it. And uh, I did a little zoom in on its face because I thought its face was just beautiful with these these greens uh, that you don't see when you um, unless you have a macro lens. And so I just thought I'd uh, put that together. So I did that once again, that little A6 book and uh, I did a sea turtle. So that is kind of practice because I'm working on a sea turtle as part of an acrylic piece. And I did a kind of a fun reel around this. So I'm trying to do, you know, consistent with my theme of storytelling, I'm trying to do a few more reels around some of these pieces. It does take a little bit more effort because I've got to obviously record from different angles and then edit. I do edit everything on my iPhone So I'm trying to, once again, be mobile first in my workflows. And so I'm using an app called LumaFusion. And I could do this just as easily on the iPad, but I'm trying to do it all on the phone. And so I edit the whole thing on the phone, and then I export it to my photo library. And then what I do is I post it to both Instagram and TikTok, and I just grab some music that I think is appropriate. If uh, I try and kind of do the transitions every two seconds, which fits with most music, as a matter of trying to hit it on the beat, <laughs> but uh, that's been kind of fun. I'm going to be doing more reels for sure. And the other thing I'm going to be working on this week, you're probably going to see in my feed, is I primed some some uh, paper in that sketchbook, that A6 sketchbook, with acrylic paint, just a really light wash, um, and then I'm coming at it with some gouache on top, a little bit of transparent watercolor, but mostly gouache, and uh, we'll see what comes out of that. So uh, keep an eye on my feed. I'm going to. Uh, see what I can do as a matter of using this kind of custom background and then hitting it with gouache and and watercolor so and obviously I've been doing more entries in my perpetual journal since the last episode I did a pussy willow and a pasque flower which came up this week so you can check those out too the pasque flower took me so much time trying to get the colors right on them but I mixed uh, three different reds or two different reds and a magenta trying to get the the color and I brought in some white gouache at the end and that was a lot of fun that was quite a challenge to do So I'm still planning to do some more live draws. I didn't do one this weekend but I I am planning on doing more on both YouTube and Instagram. I think I've got it centered in my mind the kind of things I'm going to do. I'm probably going to go in and do some of the live draws on Instagram where I'm just kind of working on something and I just want to work with you and you work on your stuff I work on mine and we just uh, kind of work through the chat and I can talk about a few things. So I'm going to do more scripted items on YouTube. I'm going to do uh, a piece about my drawing kit, my painting kit, I've also got a couple of instructional videos. I'm not going to say training or teaching, but I'm going to try and move in that direction. So I have some of those I'm working on as well. So if you subscribe to my YouTube channel, then you'll get updates on that as I start to push out some of these videos that are not live drawings. So um, I think that's it for updates. I'm really anxious. So let's jump right into this interview. There's a piece of art most of us see every day as part of our online journey, and that is the Google Doodle. My guest this week is the art director at Google responsible for these doodles. When I was contacted to see if I was interested in having him on the podcast, I jumped at the chance. He and his team have created over 5,000 Google Doodles enjoyed by millions, covering everything from special events around the world to Doctor Who and people like Stephen Hawking and Jane Goodall. We explore his recent video doodle, which celebrates Route 66. We also talk about his personal journey from Warner Brothers to Disney, and now Google. To talk about his creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Matthew Cruikshank. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Hi, Mike. Very pleased to meet you. Very happy to be here. Nice to meet you as well. I'm so happy to have you on. Uh, you know, there's so much to unpack here and uncover and explore, uh, right from, you know, Google Doodles to your fantastic new animated sketchbook video about RID66. Uh, but I always like to start kind of with origin stories to find out where you came from and, I know this is going to bring us across the pond but I'm wondering were you always a creative kid was was art something that came came to you and stuck with you in growing up
1: I think so yes I mean my brother was my older brother was always the better artist than me and I have a I have a very kind of distinct memory of his artwork would always be above the fridge door, and my work was never really good enough to be on that fridge door. Oh, I no. remember making a, <laughs> I remember making a pledge quite early on, is that one day one day my work is going to be on my mum's fridge door, and in fact now. I guess in a way I'm one of the lucky artists that has my work on the largest fridge door in the world. In terms <laughs> right. of the Google the Google homepage. But um you know, I was I was very lucky to have mom and my nan and my granddad that were just so so behind me as an artist. And I think that's so important because everybody loves to draw as a child, but a lot of people stop and luckily mm-hmm. I didn't stop.
0: That's awesome. So, you, did you do it through obviously through school into uni? Like, is this was it a clear path for you? Like, was art all the way?
1: Pretty much. I mean, I mean, I loved things like math and economics, um, English subjects like that. But it wasn't until I was sixteen and I enrolled in a graphic design course in in Salisbury College, and I really couldn't believe that this is what I got to do all day, every day, instead of just one class per per semester or something. You were able to just be completely thrown into the to the art world so so I studied graphic design for a couple of years and then I also studied il- illustration for a couple of years and then luckily enough to to study animation which is for me the most powerful medium of all of them it brings every single thing together and that's when the light really kind of flicked on I think was was animation because it can be absolutely anything that we want it to be
0: and did you so when you were finished school, did you move directly into animation or what was your first kind of gig or job um, when you finished your schooling?
1: So when I when I finished animation, actually, my first job was was for Warner Brothers for for consumer products. And what that entailed was cartoon drawings, which were then used for things like merchandise, but they still had to give the illusion that they were animated and they were brought to life. So so Tom and Jerry and all these great characters, I was able to sort of study and learn how to draw. And then these were being used for, for merchandise. And I think that and subsequently Disney that I moved to afterwards to draw Mickey Mouse, that was when I really met some of the most incredible artists who were able to to sharpen draftsmanship skills and would be able to teach me a lot of the things that, uh, that I was still lacking in. So very, very humble feeling of Disney and Warner brothers were people that could draw like gods. Uh, You know, even, even a doodle on a telephone had so much merit life energy to it. And it was a case of, you know, stealing those drawings after work and studying (laughs) them and picking them out of waste paper baskets and, you know, really, really setting aside a lot of time to, to study and work hard and try try to be as good as they as they were.
0: So, what kind of projects did you work on at Disney and Warner Brothers? Uh...
1: So, a lot of the, a lot of the Mickey stuff we would be doing for for consumer products. So, for anything from merchandising, anything from socks to T-shirts to lunchboxes to those kinds of things, we were lucky enough to do some development work for for Wally for, um, for Pixar at a time where. We were cross-pollinating a little bit and I was doing some very rudimentary three-dimensional work as well. And we were coming up with sort of retro posters for Wally, uh, those kind of things. We did a reboot of Mickey Mouse to try and uh, sort of take him into a new dimension to sort of something called Neo Mickey, which was a little bit more Japanese style. And um, I think there was always that feeling that you could do so much with those characters and we were all constantly trying to do things with that. So, so a lot of stuff got shelved and a lot of stuff got used. I mean, in between all of that is that core fundamental ability to, to draw Mickey in three dimensions, even though it's on a 2d piece of paper. So, you know, to follow the, the amazing rules that the Disney implemented and be able to use those for, for, for regular drawings.
0: So, what kind of lessons did you learn, apart from being able to draw Mickey in three dimensions, what kind of lessons did you learn in working in those two industries? Um, what did you pull from that that you applied then at uh, Google and, and, you know, the stuff that you did afterwards?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it was more more all the processes that I, that I learned in terms of not really necessarily the end product, but the processes that people... Um, I had a tutor called Frank Espinosa at Warner Brothers, but he had come from Disney, and he was someone that really wanted to pick apart the technique and the process about how you even begin to do to tell storytelling in one clean, clear shot. Even if it's for a t-shirt or a lunchbox, your storytelling and your staging really has to be really strong. So I would make sort of 20 drawings and then he would pick one out and then we would go back over that. We would flip the drawing. We would look at other ways to tell the story. Something very simple as uh, you know Jerry trying to steal some cheese while Tom isn't looking but you could stage that in six or seven different ways. Would it be readable to the audience would they understand what was going on in in an instant. So we went back to fundamentalism, and, and from Frank I really learned how to how to think visually because really that is the most important thing is how to communicate your story. It could be any story in the world, but it's how is it communicated so it's clear. And a lot of that comes down to working very small to begin with, in very small thumbnails, very economically with your drawing. There's no point in doing this large great thing if it's just not working. You know, whereas if you take your sketchbook or take some scraps some paper, even a napkin, you can actually think, begin to think and design there. So that's when I realized that, you know, illustration and animation is design purely. Every single thing you'll see throughout art history is a design. So yeah, I mean, rambling a little bit, but I just learned that there was so much there that I still had to learn and I had to dedicate
0: enough time to it to, to take those processes and move them forward. I'm wondering how an artist who's listening right now to the podcast can maybe learn from this. And the reason I'm kind of diving deeper into this is every year I have a creative theme something I adopt that helps to kind of be my North Star for that year. And this year it happens to be storytelling. So I'm always mindful in what I'm creating, whether I'm drawing, I'm doing the podcast, a news, whatever the case, that I'm telling a story. And it's wonderful to hear you talk about storytelling, especially in a, in a scene where you have characters interacting either with each other or with the elements within that scene. Do you think there's value in artists looking at that more so in their work they're doing? Do you think the idea of telling the story through a static image is important?
1: I, I do, yes. I mean, even way back to Egyptian hieroglyphics. I mean, you know, the Egyptians found a way to to tell their story in the clearest possible way. So if you had a man fishing by a river, the man would be two-dimensional with the fishing rod because that was the clearest way to stage that. But then the fishing, the actual uh, river or lake would be flat and we would be top down so that you then got to see ah that's what the that's what he's fishing into and then a fish would be very graphically portrayed so i think instinctively even from cave drawings onwards to egyptians to where we are now clear storytelling is is the is the message and the medium and it's often for me anyway the simplest way to do that is with stick figures and very very small sketches before i've even began to look at uh, any of the details that come in i think yeah, we can get very detail obsessed in our work. I I do from time to time, but what's really interesting is often with a piece of art, it's actually what you you leave out which is just as important as what you're putting in because you don't really want to confuse or clutter a story or a comic book with things, you know, it's important to to just really concentrate on what can I take out of there? What don't I need? Put everything in there to begin with then maybe extract it. So but yes, I mean, obviously we've, any artist that's listening will will probably have had a childhood of cartoons and comic books and animated shows and go back and rewatch those because wonderful mastery mastery of craftsmanship and storytelling within within that medium.
0: That's the, absolutely. And so I wanted to, to also ask you as well when you're doing this work at Warner Brothers and Disney is it is it analog? are you working with paper and pencil and and ink or was it a time when technology was playing into it? Um, what were you working with at the time?
1: Yes, it was definitely all traditional drawing we used to we used to do the rough sketches and then we would clean them up and take them to a blue line which then an inker would ink and scan and then it would be colored and then it could be sent off for processing but obviously so much has changed since then this was this was a little while ago. And it actually became much more pertinent, I noticed in the industry in general, is that you couldn't just be one thing. And I think it's really important for people listening is that you can be anything, you can be versatile, but try all these different mediums because I think it's going to really help you in your career. So you know, Photoshop and Illustrator and using Flash and other animation programs are are really, really important, as well as the drawing, because you can then... You can be master of your own destiny really you can start with your sketch you can take it all the way through to execution some of the work i see now on you know within tablets and photoshop is just you can't tell if it's real or if it's not anymore and uh you know that's an interesting conversation in itself but mm-hmm. i think it's i think building up your skill sets in these different ways is is really really important but at warner brothers and disney we started with just just the traditional drawing getting that right and then rendering it in, we started rendering it ourselves, so we were able to tie back into more graphic styles and treatments, which were interesting. But just on the computer, I mean, there's no button in the computer that says create great art. You just press it. It's right. it's, it's a real, real skill. And you know, friends in the industry and things that I see, I just continually blown away. I would just ask that we always consider the traditional route as well, because that teaches us patience and understanding and, uh, you know, can help as much as the the artwork, which looks like there isn't one mistake in it.
0: I, I agree. I I play with various mediums, including digital, and I find that one contributes to the other. Even if I do, you know, colored pencil or watercolor for a bit, when I come back to my first love, which is pencil and graphite, There's stuff that I've done in the color world that contributes to the graphite, and then I spend time in graphite, and I bring that back, and then I go into digital. And I I agree, that kind of rotation through the mediums, I think, makes you a better artist overall. Completely agree. So, at some point, you ended up at Google. So, how did that jump occur?
1: Yeah, I mean... The internet is a dangerous, scary, and exciting thing. And I mean, I, I started uh, I started a blog in 2007 and just started to put artwork up there. And I thought that was that was actually the first time I was able to sort of look, and you're able to judge yourself with other other blogs and other artists. And I thought that was fascinating. Reach out and ask to, to be friends with people. But completely out of the blue, one day I had an email from an artist called Mike Dutton, who was on the, the Doodle team at the time. And he had seen some sketches and paintings that I had made when I came to visit L.A. and San Francisco, which was just on a, on a holiday. And while I was out there, I just started painting on the streets and I was trying to learn gouache and color and things like that, just on a personal level. And Mike saw that. And I think his email said something like, I noticed you'd been out here to visit for a while. Would you consider coming out for a little bit longer? So it was sort of like <laughs> the Shawshank Redemption thing where... <laughs> Tim Robbins asks Red or uh, Morgan Freeman if he's prepared to go a little bit further. Um, right. So I, I really I was amazed and very humbled by that. And I went over to visit the team, and you know it was a re- it's a it was a really great little small team still is now. But I just had a really great sense there that this was a coming together of graphics, illustration, and animation, which is everything that I had learnt and i was getting quite frustrated not being able to show animation or do more animation and i think that that was a vehicle for that had absolutely no training in interactive little video games where where i was going to learn so much subsequently from the engineers at google and it just felt like after maybe 18 years in in london it felt like a change to come over to look at california i mean where do you go in California and like the fauna, the landscape, it's the color and the light, all of that stuff just really drew me in. But then within that, it was um, it was the excitement of changing a logo every day uh, into something that celebrated human achievement or maybe celebrating someone that we've never even heard about. I've definitely been introduced to people that have just really inspired me. It seemed like a really, really interesting job to at least take a stab at
0: and you've been there ever since.
1: <laughs> been there been there ever since it got, I mean time's gone very very quickly. I think that's the interesting thing about the job is that there's always something really interesting coming up in a way or something that you haven't celebrated or a person you don't know about and maybe you're able to use a different style or medium for that. But no, I mean in- incredibly happy and proud to To be a part of it. And I don't know if you've noticed, but, you know, part of our remit recently in a few years is that we're looking at other, other artists to celebrate their work on the homepage as well, which have more of a cultural relevance. So I don't know so much about a particular region or a country that I've not visited. That might be really, really interesting if we're celebrating a person or event from that region. To reach out to a local artist and get their take on it, and hopefully they can share their thumbprint um, with the world as well.
0: That's incredible. I was flipping through the doodles just in the last, you know, maybe the last hundred of them.
1: <laughs> How many are there now? Well, I think recently we came up. We
0: just passed the milestone
1: of over five thousand. So um, yeah, it's it's an incredible amount. I mean, I think people we should bear in mind that uh, a lot of the times these doodles are going out to different countries at different times. So you might actually won't see them particularly in your country. So that's kind of interesting to to think about. But we've definitely done a lot and uh, <laughs> probably a lot more to
0: come. So Matthew, can I ask you, what was the first doodle that you worked on? Do you remember?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the very first was, was Rodan. I remember I mean what a way to start is to try and celebrate one of the greatest sculptors that ever lived and uh, yeah I I remember being a little kind of apprehensive about that I remember going to the um Legion of Honor to 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 sketch in San Francisco uh, the the thinker and then be able to put that together was was really interesting but Yes, this, I mean that's the big thing. It's like you, you uh, sometimes you have to take your hat off and say, okay, I can only really do my very best here if you are celebrating someone that that important. But definitely, Rodan was one of the very, very earliest.
0: And is there like a vision or a statement that helps guide kind of the creation of these? I mean, you talked about it kind of reflecting society and and areas of the world, but how do you? I mean, people can submit their own ideas. There is an email address on the site to submit their yes. own. But how do you look at these, and and what are you trying to tell people in in sharing these Google uh, Doodles?
1: I think the the very first thing that we we care about is, like I have mentioned before, the celebration of human achievement in a very positive way, and celebrating people from all walks of life. Everyone, everyone is welcome. That's the first thing. I say. I think subsequently we we sit together and think about is this relevant to what what is going on as well in the world? Would people like this? Do we consider this one of the doodles which people are going to relax and have some time wasted? And that can be in itself (laughs) a benefit? Or are we really going to sort of go deeper into someone that really stood up for incredible values and all these things that we believe in as a company? And therefore, does the tone of that doodle illustration video piece of animation does that shift and change as well but i think the main mandate is we want to open people's minds um, to new people that they may not have met before as well as celebrating great legends people that we know about firsthand it's also the smaller person the person that's less well known that we think is really really important as well
0: that's fantastic now, how
1: many people are on your team so we have a small it's a very small team it's it's a handful of engineers and a handful of artists although we have subsequently at the moment kind of spread out our wings a little bit more as i mentioned to reach other artists in other countries to see if they want to to help in help out as well but i think one of the key things is that it is still a very small team team in the scheme of things therefore if you're working on a project communication is very good it's very tight you know there's not so many kind of people that are getting getting so involved and that can be right. a really that can be a really positive thing if you want to make a, a little personal experience for someone to understand and resonate with it's better
0: to do that on these smaller teams yeah i mean keeping that agility is really uh really nice with a small handful of people that's right. for sure right. is there a typical process around creating like let's say it's it's rodin or, or let's say it's um whomever or whatever, is there a a defined process to say this is how we kind of storyboard it, this is how, and, and you know, do we make it a game? Do we make it a video? Do we make it a static image? Is there a a process that you've kind of uh, went with on a regular basis in doing these?
1: Yes, it is always a little bit that it's stuck together with sticky tape behind the scenes for each of these things because otherwise that wouldn't be interesting for us. But we will have a look at if something... Something we haven't celebrated before that we want to go a little bit bigger on, then we will take that more into an interactive. And that requires a little bit more of a, of a team ethos. Uh, if, it's re- if it's a static or an animated doodle, then often we, we do the napkin thing that I spoke about earlier, is that we will meet once a week. And depending on who's working on what project, they'll show two or three quick sketches, of compositions, of design, of different ways that they could take things. So that's something that we we look at. And then if we're going to make it a much larger project, then we get more eyes on it. And then we decide whether this is worth waiting another six months or waiting another year for. Because I don't know if you tend to notice, but we, we like to look for birthdays or actual kind of dates of events because we think mm-hmm. that, you know, that sort of makes the most sense. So, yes, there's a lot of jigging around with a lot of unsung heroes in the, in the background looking at um a lot of charts and a lot of documents and things that I don't necessarily enjoy too much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I was checking out a recent one a fairly recent with Stephen Hawking in his birthday oh, great. and that was just beautiful. I loved that video that was uh that was incredible.
1: Oh, thank you so much i mean that was that was something which we felt we could go a little bit bigger on I mean the man had a brain the size of an entire planet so it would, how do you do how do we do him justice and i thought about that for a number of weeks and then we really hit on the idea of that obviously it wasn't until we got the audio of his voice that we realized you know or i realized it's it's so in tune with being a computer with being a sort of 16 bit feel to it because he he lived through this evolution of the computer as well so that was something we 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 worked really closely with his family on, which uh, managed to meet his three children. Yes, quite quite inspirational stuff. And at the end of the day, you, you, you're you trying to just do justice to great, great people like like Stephen Hawking.
0: So are there other doodles that you've worked on that are really memorable for you um, in, in all the years that you've been there?
1: The one that I tend to go back to every now and most of the time is the Doctor Who doodle, celebrating 50 years of, of Doctor Who, because my then boss at the time... Ryan said to me, um, "Oh, Matt's English, so he'll do it." That, that was it,
0: <laughs>
1: um, and that was that was really great fun because we were able to to contact the BBC and get some of the archive audio and sound effects we were using, like original sound effects from the show, to put together into this very silly idea that we had of um, the Daleks stealing the letters, and it was up to the user to to bring them back together. So that sticks in my mind. We did an Earth Day. A few years back with Jane Goodall, that was really, really interesting. She managed to, we managed to meet her, and she, we only spent an afternoon with her, but she narrated her her life in an hour and a half, and there was just so much that we could take out of that and put that into a small little animated uh, film, you know, because Earth Day is incredibly important to us and to all of us moving forward. So, um, someone like Jane, it was really incredible just to have her experience and expertise on that. And showing her little character designs of saying, you know, this is what I what you I, this is what you're gonna look like, Jane. She was like, great. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are a number of them. But it's often as well the little small static ones that come out that are are really interesting. I did one for Gabriel Garcia Marquez, A Hundred Years of Solitude, got to celebrate one of my favorite books with with just a, a, a kind of lush illustration and then a tiny little bit of animation as well. The animation's fascinating because it's just as a medium it's too fascinating to, to comprehend sometimes, but sometimes it's about just the little things that are moving, the, the little subtleties and the little details that can really stand out.
0: That's incredible. Is there somebody that you would like to Google doodle that you haven't yet?
1: Gosh, so many, so many people. I probably shouldn't say, just in case we end up doing it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, because that is important to us is that surprise of really mm-hmm. not knowing when you go to the homepage. But there are so many people that I, that I would love to, love to celebrate filmmakers through to to artists to even just some little events but yeah i'm i'm constantly thinking about whether this would work and whether that was the right the appropriate thing or place for that person you know rest assured fingers crossed we've got some canadians <laughs> and some american doodles coming up
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be great to see a lot of canadian content i'd oh, appreciate cool. that <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned it as well when you were talking about your process, you know, doing it on napkins and that kind of thing. So is it still a mix of kind of traditional or analog as well as digital? Is, is that still all in the mix when you're starting through the process?
1: For me, yes. I mean, I've gravitated more towards the Cintiq, obviously, like a lot of people do because of the speed of thought and being able to quickly put that stuff down, I think is really great, but it's exactly the same process. It's just your thumbnail sketches being put onto a Cintiq. So it's exactly the same thing. I still feel personally, we haven't quite got there in terms of recreating that touch of the graphite that you mentioned earlier or the brushstroke or the spontaneity of a watercolor, you know, so, so I am still focused on those mediums, I think. But yeah, I mean, we we are still using those same techniques, but definitely using more of a, of the computer software where possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, from a process workflow, it makes it easier to hand off and that kind of thing. But So the project that's coming out now, by the time people hear this, it will be out, is this Route 66 project that you did. So can you talk about where this came from and what was involved in creating this incredibly brilliant video?
1: Oh, thank you. I mean... It, that's been a passion of mine for a long time. Is Americana, that view of the old style of America, even all the way back to books by Steinbeck about the Mother Road. I mean, this this road, this mythical road, has existed, still exists. Eighty-five percent of it is still intact. And I remember discussing this with with Mike, the the artist I mentioned earlier, and we would go painting together, and we would do plein air sketches and you know, was there a way to combine these two things into into an experience for the homepage to celebrate Route Sixty Six? And and bit by bit it began to sort of click together and then Often with a lot of artists and a lot of engineers on the team, and uh, you know, you can pitch ideas and try and get feedback and and just sort of like set the idea out there. So we had proposed that idea for a while, and the idea came out as an animated sketchbook because I think I would I really wanted a stab at, at trying something like that. So it was greenlit, and I was lucky enough to fly to Chicago and then do the drive back from uh, east to west, and I spent literally two and a half weeks pulling over to the side of the road and drawing and painting whatever I saw come along, getting completely lost, meeting incredible people. You know, I was really struck by this melancholic beauty to it now. There really, really is. It's like this thing is frozen in time, but it's still there and it's still breathing and it has developed into something else, you know? So these abandoned buildings and these old rusting cars and carcasses of cars and, you know, just there uh, was just was phenomenal, and I would try and record that as quickly as possible, knowing that I only had you know I was trying to do a couple of hundred miles a day plus the drawings and and that kind of thing. I mean impossible to put it all into one one film. obviously, that's why there are hour and hour long films about it, but yeah, essentially the idea was pitched, I was able to do it, and then I made 90 percent of the artwork in that two and a half weeks. Wow. So there's over a over hundred paintings and sketches, more than could ever fit into the actual doodle. Just because I thought, I don't know if I'm ever going to have this opportunity to to be paid to do something like this <laughs> ever again. Should I even come back? You know, should I just rent, a, should I buy a little shack out there and no one would come and find me? But yeah, basically we put it together and then I spent probably two or three months back in the studio Cutting out the artwork, cutting out the, the the images in Photoshop, and then beginning to to animate them in a in a kind of simple way.
0: I've probably watched it a dozen times now because I just <laughs> I feel like I'm missing something, so oh. I watch it again and I watch it again. Uh, I just think it's brilliant. I love the animation, and and so the artwork that we're seeing is artwork that you created on the road. And then the yeah. animation, I mean, you pull it into Photoshop, you cut it within Photoshop. Right. And then you animate it that way. How are you, what tool are you using to animate? Like, what, what is kind of the go-to tool? I'm just curious.
1: Well, I mean, I think each person has their own preference, I think. But, um, right. you know, Animate CC or Flash, as it was then, before it just yeah. recently changed. I just love, I love Flash for its simplicity. Um, I'm able to get some quirkier timings in there than perhaps I could with, with Photoshop, Obviously, being able to scan a lot of textures in there as well really helped. But um, you know, with animation, for me, it's still a journey of of learning, trying to learn every day because it is such a fascinating medium. But there are so many different ways to animate something. You know that that uh, I often got a little lost within that. But what I had noticed on Route sixty six is that so many things happened on that journey and on that trip. Could we mix it up so it wasn't always the same car driving through? It wasn't always the same perspective. There were some days where we could shoot a little bit of live action, which really helped intersperse with the the animation. So you would see my hand come in and, and straighten something or turn something around, just to show people that this thing was was real and tangible. And uh, you know, it had a lot of a lot of beautiful mistakes in it, which happen with sketchbooks. It was an imaginary sketchbook. I mean, it's not complete in its entirety, but it gives the mm-hmm. impression of that. And within sketchbooks, I think there should be a sense of freedom for people, uh, a less of a sense of pressure. It's not a portfolio. It is a sketchbook. You know, you're going to take U-turns. You're going to get lost. You're going to make mistakes. And I think there's some of that in those paintings. So there's, there's a kind of integrity to them that I sort of took over a kind of absolute technical execution technical excellence i don't see that there i just see a lot of fun and enjoyment and spontaneity that is
0: that is hopefully made its way through to the end it sounds like when i hear you speak about this it sounds like this was wasn't a job this was a personal journey <laughs> and this is the result
1: oh that's no it's so great that you say that because i think it's probably the closest that i've come to to a thumbprint on on a bigger scale for people to enjoy, and I think every artist is is really looking for that is, you know, creative freedom, within a commercial, industry. So there, you know, that's that's the thing. It's a very short, small little film, but it has more of my thumbprint than anything else that I've that I've ever done, because it ties all the way back to to drawing and to sketchbooks and to the things that we keep on the side which are really valid art forms in themselves. So let's just try and let's just show the sketchbook and not worry about the fact that it has imperfections to it was a driving factor. And of course, you know, America is just the landscape that we've spoken about. It's just incredible. The significance that you feel so insignificant driving down these tiny, tiny little roads with these giant mesa and mountains around you and quite, quite incredible, really.
0: The sketches are incredible. What were your tools in doing that? Did you have um, did you have a go-to as a matter of the book that you were using or the pens or the, the washes? So what was your kind of on-the-road, getting-dirty-with-analog kind of kit that you had?
1: So I always keep a kit of uh, a lot of 2B pencils. I think 2B is still probably the most versatile out of all of the pencils. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, to be or not to be, right? Um, I... Had some, a lot of gouache. I mean, gouache is my sort of go-to medium because you can thin it out like watercolor as well, or it can be a lot thicker. It it dries nice and quickly, so you're able to, to sort of go over that. So a basic set of, of gouache paints. And then... Yeah, in terms of sketchbooks, I would just use regular, honestly, regular sketchbooks, even scraps of paper. I had an old sketchbook, which I just liked the texture and the, the teeth of the grain. So it's not always the, the the expensive materials. I've often found if I buy expensive materials, it puts a pressure on me to to actually do something good. And I think the more you can relieve that with, honestly, tissue paper, scrap pieces of paper, even cardboard, those are things that are going to allow you to have more of a carefree approach to it. So, so yeah, cheap watercolor paper, yeah, and that's pretty much what I took with me. I paint sometimes on basically just on my lap. But the great thing was that it, it was so hot in some areas that I was able to just sit in the car and paint something with the with the air conditioning on. But uh, yeah, I just I have a basic set of things and just a variety of brushes and the 2B pencil.
0: I love that you did that uh, because I've been urban sketching for a little while. I have a little easel that I mount to my steering wheel. Um, wow! So <laughs> in the Canadian winters, that's the only way to do it. Or your watercolors gonna freeze unless wow. you add some so vodka you, to it. it. Is the brush sort
1: of attached to your head as you're driving
0: along? <laughs> no, I think I'd get fine with that. Uh, but <laughs> it's uh, but maybe if my artwork was good, the the, the, the officer would let me go. But it's uh I, I just really admire that that it came from that experience that it came from this idea of having a sketchbook with you because I've had so many people ask me, and I'm probably going to have to do it in the next uh, week or two, but they want to see what's in my sketchbook. I mean every artist is is at some point asked what's in your sketchbook and mm-hmm. these reveals that people are doing on various social platforms. I haven't done one of those, and I feel like I love seeing it. I love seeing mm. people flip through a book. I think that's wonderful. And I just love that for someone who's working at Google, who's leading the Google Doodles, that you took it upon yourself to do this and carry these analog tools. And, I mean, do, do you have interesting – were there a couple of stories or experiences along that journey that, that stick with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, many, many. I mean, it is a family show, so I am aware of that. But, uh, <laughs> Honestly, I, I mean, I got completely lost as well. I mean, that, I think the kind of adventure was in not knowing. So, as you know, people would say, I guess, that I should be using Google Maps. Well, I tried to go, I tried to go analog on that. I mean, I remember being <laughs> utterly, utterly lost in uh, Springfield, Missouri. I didn't know where I was. And uh, traveling further and further, and this, this little track just got smaller and smaller, <laughs> just rubble. <laughs> and there's a, there was a man on a, on a lawnmower On his sit on lawnmower, and I stopped and I said, You know, hi, is is this Route 66? And he said to me, Boy, this isn't even Route 6. (laughs) So I was. Middle of nowhere. So we chat a bit and, you know, he points out some things where I say, well, I'm on this journey. And other people said to me, well, make sure you check out this. Make sure you go and see the Totem Pole Ranch or make make sure you go in the Merrimack Caves. Make sure you do the Missouri Arch. I mean, all of that stuff was was word of mouth. And I have to say, once people see that you paint and draw, it's a, it's a, a gateway to so many conversations and chance meetings. And I think that is the real beauty of of what we do outdoors is that uh, something can happen that really can influence your or you can add to your composition. So on Route 66, this happened all all the time, really, is that people would see you come over, you'd have a chat, you'd meet someone great, often so many Europeans because it's still the bucket list things to do. So, uh, you know, met met so many new people who who said, oh, you must check out this, or you must check out that. And and the next thing, you've gone down a little kind of rabbit hole, and you found something that you would not have known about.
0: So when did you do your journey? So that happened in
1: 2019. So quite a while back. So we waited a little while for for it to launch. Um, It seems to make sense now seeing we're getting more into the holiday season as well. And as you know, everyone took a kind of uh, I took a break the last couple of years, Yes. and um, that was a time that we, I was able to sort of finish the project properly, and then we were able to shelve it, and we were looking for the most appropriate time. So yes, um, September 2019, I, I did the journey, and like I said, two and a half weeks for the two well, two 2,500 miles.
0: Can I ask you maybe a high-level question? I mean, you met a lot of different people off the grid, kind of <laughs> different experiences. You know, as a Canadian talking to somebody who's in the US, what do you feel about the American culture at this point? Having been through that, having interacted with people, had conversations along Route 66, how do you feel about where we're at? I know it's a different state now. That's yeah. why I was asking you when you did this in 2019 versus the state of the world and the mm. climate and everything now. How do you feel about things?
1: I mean, in in one aspect, we love to reminisce. And part of Route 66 is the nostalgia aspect of when times were simpler, so to speak. So when I think about my job now and what I represent at Google, it's that, you know, we want the internet to be a place where for learning, for good, for all of those things. And I think sometimes somewhere along the way, maybe the scale of things and the magnitude of, of what can happen on the internet and how information is shared can be really, really overwhelming. You know, we really, really want where possible to show the truth. And what I saw on Route 66 was the the most truthful people, really. I mean, when I was in Chicago, we went out a couple of nights before I started the journey and we were in a, a kind of bar, music bar, and there was a, there's a picture on the wall that says um, there is still kindness and goodness. And it's funny because it really stuck with me all the way through the trip, right the way through the other end, is that everyone I met, just had those virtues, really. It's it's more, there's this whole world that's still going on out there that we love and can be off-grid, and that's where sometimes the purest things are. Also, you know, it is the most sort of um, Googled highway in America as well. So people are really interested in that aspect of it, and I, I think it might harken back to what, what I tried to achieve with The Doodle, which is a sense of going back to basics, and i think that that's what route 66 had it has all the craziness and all the fun sculptures and all the kind of wacky people and and but it is i don't know it felt I, I felt like a very true rewarding experience
0: and so with this push towards in social media there's there's a i think a push towards video more video do you think that that's going to impact the doodles moving forward? Do you think there's going to be more video doodles? Do you think because this push into video from other social media platforms Mm. will have you thinking, you know what, we're going to do more static? Like, How does that play into your mind as you're looking at these projects you have coming up as to whether they're video, whether it's a game, whether it's a static image? What's your thought on that?
1: I hope so. I I mean, I think that's something we're excited about is is making more sort of longer form things, as well as some shorter form experiences, which might be a little tricky with video, but um, uh, we'd love to do some more things with music. We'd love to celebrate lesser known events, maybe with with some kind of long form video doodle. I am interested in, is it live action or is it something else? Do we take it in a different direction? Is it a paper cutout? We don't know. Is it 3D? Yeah, we're unsure of that until the vehicle for that thing comes along, and then it makes sense to do it in that specific way. But I definitely, I definitely am seeing shorter experiences can be really impactful as well. Is there a way that we perhaps can use these new mediums, but in shorter form? And again, goes back to that, that napkin idea about shortest, sweetest, most clearest messages and the way that we can convey them. And it doesn't really matter what that medium is in as long as we're very clear about things. I mean, as a kid, to see commercials growing up as a kid in England, to see these little 10, 15 second commercials, but there's a whole world in there that they managed to pack in and it's so clever what they did. So perhaps Perhaps that's an avenue or a route that we could look at. You may notice with Route 66, it's the Bobby Troop track, which we were very lucky and happy to, to get. So once you have a music track, you're kind of setting yourself up for three minutes, two minutes, 30. It really is kind of, you know, maybe not worth delving into it because people will want to listen to the to the song, to the track. So that, in yeah. a way, can that can sort of drive some longer form things. So... Hopefully we can we can work with some musicians in the future as well.
0: Well, would we ever see Google Doodles in a VR or AR experience?
1: We did do one doodle a, a little while back, which was in AR as well. So we were able to it was able to turn around. I think it was the Melier, the the uh, the French uh, film director. So we played around with that. I think I think the issue right now is that that technology is of av- who is it available to, and so it might be that we could. We could cater something specifically for that, but it might, can we make the experience interesting on a regular desktop homepage or on your mobile? Can we, can we utilize those, those things? And I think technology is obviously getting better and better and more advanced, but uh, I could definitely see some kind of more immersive experience in the future.
0: Yeah. I'd love to trip through your sketchbook in in, VR, AR. I think that would be a, a wonderful experience. You're the art director at Google, uh, dealing with these Google Doodles and video Doodles, and and I mean, it just sounds like an awesome job. How do you separate the work from the personal? Are you still drawing and painting and sketching in your spare time on the weekends, or does yes. it become too much?
1: No, I I I am. I, I get I get sort of a little down if I don't draw even after a couple of days that's probably the most that I would that I would go to so I think it's very important to for me to do it just as a as a diary or as a, a recording device to to have some sanity in my life it's one of those things that makes the most sense to me 66 was a probably merged the lines between personal and professional i would say mm-hmm. um but in general i mean as a commercial artist you, it's very it's very rare that you'll get to have your, your way in anything really. And I, and I think, you know, uh, throughout art history, you've got incredible people that work. you know, Michelangelo worked for the Medici. He was paid to do these things. I'm not comparing myself to, to Michelangelo <laughs> at all. I'm just saying that there, there were working gigs out there. And uh, you know, it's about having that mindset on as well as being able to go into your personal world and be able to, to let go and have full, creative freedom to do whatever you want and not be afraid
0: of of making mistakes. So in doing whatever you want, are there there things you want to try personally? Are there things that that have you curious that you want to experiment with?
1: I'd love to try a, a mural. I really, I realized that I haven't done that. Living in San Francisco, there's some incredible murals around. I wondered if I could persuade someone to let me try something really large. A lot of street art is very compelling and interesting and it has a, has a, direct connection to the community which i think is really important so i would love to try that more i have some leftover steel from my garden giant bits of steel i'm wondering if i can get someone to come along with a acetylene torch and try some kind of abstract (laughs) pattern in that so those are probably two things that i'm thinking about for now as well as, you know, continuingly to try and record as much of, of, of the U.S. as I can, really. I would love to to keep going with that and to get better or get worse. But either way, share that experience of visualizing it. My, my tutor, Peter Parr, back in the animation class, there's something that I've never forgot where he says, you know, as soon as you sit down to draw, you're reaching out with these tentacles in your head, to touch the surface in front of you, so then come back to record it, to edit out the things you don't want. Uh, it's so essential. It's such an interesting feeling. It's like if can I keep reaching out with my forehead tentacles <laughs> as long as possible <laughs> to 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 capture this stuff. I really feel like it's a, that's something that is very important to me.
0: That's wow. That visualization really hits home with me, that idea of tentacles reaching out and grabbing that world around you. But I have a question around that. What if you do sit down and you're expecting the tentacles to go out and they don't? So you've got creative block. Right. How do you address that? Do you have any kind of tricks or strategies around that?
1: Yeah, I mean, some days I really don't get going at all. I I would revert back to the thumbnail sketch as well. It's like I've seen something and I want to paint it. What What I should have done in hindsight... Uh, or, or some of the best pieces that I've made or, or that I've been happiest about are elements where I have done a very small little thumbnail sketch to begin with just to break down what's in front of me into its simplest, simplest core shapes. And if you're draw, if you're drawing it very, very small, you can't put any detail in. And I've often done that and I've had more interesting little thumbnail sketches than I have larger pieces. So what I've done now is try and do now is try and take, take this very small sketch and then with the passion and the excitement and almost like the not thinking about it aspect, translate that into the, into the next piece. You know, at, at graphic design college, we would do that and then you would blow up on the projector, you would blow up your tiny little thumbnail and then you would trace around that. So at least you kept some of the core composition for your final piece. Now that's very difficult to do when you're in the middle of nowhere, but I still try and, still try and take that process. So if I ever get the writer's block, I will revert back to, like I said, the stickmen or the very basic components, and just try and work on that.
0: I, I never really thought about that. I mean, you, you you try and you know blur your eyes and squint your eyes and and trying to capture a scene. But the idea of of doing really really tiny storyboards, that's I I'm gonna have to think about that one because I I often get stuck because I do a lot of pencil work and I love detail. I
1: saw your detail. Yeah, it's great. I mean, Thank yeah, you. You, have, you really have an eye, but I don't think you're killing what you're doing either. I think you kind of knowing when to stop. Monet said the great, his greatest skill was knowing when to stop, which is incredibly humbling of him. But, <laughs> you, you know, I think sometimes I can go too far and completely overcook something. And it's just, it's that it's finding that balance. And often those little simple sketches are going are gonna to help you with your larger piece.
0: I'm going to have to listen to this episode, I think, two or three times, because oh. you really have some really good nuggets here for, I think, the artists listening and, and trying to move their craft forward. Can I ask you, in looking back on your career, is is there one or two things that you think have had the largest impact on your success? An event, a person, something somebody said?
1: It, it does go back to the, to the tutors, because I do think sometimes when you get out into the industry, sometimes it can be a little bit lonely, and I think... Because it is art, there are certain kind of stigmas that are surrounding it in terms of it is quite competitive and perhaps people may might be not trying to help as much as possible. That never really happened to me, but I've always kept the advice of my, my tutors. One other man I must mention is, is Oscar Grillo, who is an Argentinian artist who's now retired but lives in London. And I met him, I think, when I was pretty burnt out as an artist, and he just reinvigorated me and reset the the pilot light on me because just to look through his sketchbooks just a a conscious stream of 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 drawings and of imagination he really made me sort of realize that that i i should keep going and it gave me like a second wind because i think a lot of artists do do burn out and it is for some extent quite a personal journey so um you know, I think having the I think starting the blog in 2007 was kind of a seminal moment really for for my career, because it just opened this wide, wide window in of possibilities and contacts. And, you know, I look at all the social media platforms that we have now is just so many, so many choices to that and not getting too pulled into this sort of liking thing and not being too worried about that, because I think that can set its own set of, of, of issues, um, just sharing the work when you feel you're ready to share it. Don't, don't just feel like you have to put it out there because you've got to be, I don't know, productive or something. So, but I think, I think blogs really, really helped. I mean, I I mean, still have my blog. I think I get four viewers a week and three of them are me. So, I mean, it's like (laughs) everything moved on a little bit more in terms of how quickly, People are showing, and it, it, don't get me wrong, it's very exciting. You know, I love scrolling through and, and seeing old artists and new artists, but I think just keeping it, uh, just keeping it in control, can help a little bit.
0: I, I'm really interested to hear your view on this bit because you're do, you're doing these amazing, you know, uh, Google Doodles. Millions of people are seeing them. A bunch of opinions about whether it's good or bad. This maybe this imposter syndrome. I, I don't know if you have that at any point in time. <laughs> You're nodding like yes. <laughs> no,
1: but, no, I'm definitely <laughs> nodding at the size and scale of of of. Uh, there's no filter on it, right? To some extent, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it is possible to please absolutely everyone, and I think that the the people that are listening, I think your art should provoke, and I think it should it's important to create discussions about it and for it to have content and to, for it to have meaning and that's all I'm I'm trying to do or we're trying to do is is find that that space but um there is a lot going on out there and it is it's it's very easy to be knocked back i think now these days and it's uh, important to know that that isn't necessarily always your own your own fault. It could be all manner of things that are happening to someone that might not like your artwork. You know, it's taking it on the chin. I've definitely made some things and and some mistakes or pieces of art that I weren't specifically pleased about. But Mm -hmm. yeah, you can't get it right all the time. But you can try to, I think you can really try to. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. But I do, I do think the liking and the disliking thing, can, can lead us down some unnatural paths sometimes. You know, I've seen I've seen friends blogs and they've or, or on social media and they've created something really interesting and fascinating and something new, and it may only have two or three likes. And I think sometimes what you you can end up doing is going back to the the thing that gave you fifty or a, I don't know a thousand likes, and right. you might want to start doing that again. And that's interesting because. I'm way more interested in the, the more exploratory work.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's horrible. I get into that as well, where you post three or four things, and then all of a sudden people really like that one thing, and you cannot figure out what it is they liked about it. So it's you're having this argument in your head that eventually hits your hand and then hits the, the brush or the pencil on the paper in what you create next. And I was really curious, because we're, as artists... And, you know, I, I'm in my 50s, but, you know, I, I would say I'm maybe an emerging artist. <laughs> I, I don't know. But because I didn't start till I was 40, you know, we're struggling for, you know, to get noticed, to get our artwork out there. And I was just, I was really interested to hear your perspective, as you shared, in somebody who's out there, but is is their artwork is being seen by millions. And our artwork may be viewed by 10 or 100. And so I think it's just an interesting kind of, um challenge and uh you know, I I think what you said is valuable in that, you know, you can't fight for the likes. Um and you're right, there are some amazing pieces of art out there that have two, ten, twenty likes. Yeah. And they get lost because the algorithm is is punishing those people for whatever reason. Yeah. And that's unfortunate.
1: I mean, I, I just want to say I'm so happy that you're you consider yourself an emerging artist because I think that's that's extremely healthy. And obviously, I, I believe you have a strong skill set as well. But a delayed reaction on, on things on your people's careers can be really interesting and valid in itself. Suzanne really wasn't didn't really hit his hit his stride until late 60s or, or become popular to some extent. I mean, there's a who knows There there's no there's no right or wrong here. I think sometimes some of the most interesting art that I've ever seen has come from a, from a struggle and a need, you know, that, that amazing first album from that group, which is still listened to today instead of their fourth album, where maybe, you know, they weren't so, weren't so passionate about it. They weren't, they didn't need, they didn't need the cash anymore or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that struggle is very important, but also, also knowing when to reward And recognize when you have done something great and that you you don't have to be living you know in the woods (laughs) struggling to survive but um no i think i think everyone's journey is, is different and you know it's a it's a marathon not a sprint so you know you're you're in the marathon phase now and that's great
0: that's awesome thank you matthew that's uh that's helpful i think a lot of artists will connect with that and be reassured that um it, it, and it's hard, too, because when you're creating, you, you put a little bit of yourself in everything that you do. And people don't see that bit. People don't see the the hours up to it. They don't see, you know, when you were working on that, that arm of that person that you're drawing, that you were thinking about your mom who passed away or that you had a bad day mm-hmm. at work. And people don't mm-hmm. see the emotion that you're embedding in your work. So it, it is difficult sometimes when people say, oh that's not great and and they don't mean you're not great <laughs> they just it's it's okay it's okay to create
1: yeah one hundred percent. the meaning that you it is ultimately your meaning that and if people don't see that then okay i mean not everyone is going to to see that and the fact that you put something into it which meant so much to you that's really important i think we're still discovering secrets about artists from hundreds of years ago that we didn't really know about or know the meaning behind. So that's a really interesting abstract form of storytelling where we've gone from being very, very clear in what we want to say to actually hiding things and making things more abstract to leave people guessing. I mean, that's there's a whole subject matter we could go into on that.
0: <laughs> that would be fun. I'm mindful of, of your time, and so I want to get into what I think a lot of people look forward to, and that is the homework. Uh, I always ask my guests for a little bit of homework to um, for the person listening who want to be able to take something and be able to work on it or do something after the show. So Matthew, what would you recommend as being a little bit of homework for the listener?
1: Well, the first thing I'd like people to do is just treat their sketchbook as uh, an extension of their arm to be carrying it around with them all the time, and that if they do spot something... Sketch it down in a very small way, so it doesn't have to take up too much of your day and too much of your time. so I'd love people to to explore that a little bit, even if it was a still life that they could set up in their room if people weren't able to go out is to find three five interesting objects uh odd numbers are more is always more interesting than even for compositions so Try and find three objects of varying sizes of different scales to put those together and try this little thumbnail thing, looking at very quick things, rearranging those objects. I bet you can get some really, really powerful, interesting compositions out of that. Uh, and for for the more ambitious people, get out there with your sketchbook and don't be afraid of, of the mistakes. You don't have to show this sketchbook to anyone but yourself if you don't want to, but go and have some fun. Go and cut loose and, you know, realize that, that this is a, a, such a powerful medium that we have to be able to symbolize things, to be able to record things. Just try and reach out with those tentacles out there. And uh, <laughs> who knows, we might never see the results, but I think you'll feel the results in terms of wanting to, to be alive and to keep recording. And that sense of exhilaration that can come from being out there.
0: And it's a beautiful time of year for many of us uh, to be able to get outside again and <laughs> take in the sun and uh, uh, you know the smells and, and the wonderful experiences out there. I love that homework. I'm, th- th- yeah, I'm going to be all over that. <laughs> right, right after we're done, I'm going outside. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to include links to everything that we talked about. Uh, you know, we'll include links to some of the video doodles that we talked about, and obviously to Route 66 as well. But I wanted to ask you, Matthew, where can people find you?
1: So I am on Twitter. I should know what my um what well, what I would say is that, please, I need the viewers back at my blog. So if you want to go to ye dot com, that is my blog. I haven't updated the, the style and format for 15 years. So apologies <laughs> for that. But all the artwork on there is is artwork. So if anybody ever wanted to drop in there and then that has my other details on there in terms of how to get in touch.
0: That's fantastic. I will link to your blog. I will link directly to your Twitter as well. And uh, people can go and discover you and, and I'll link to the, uh, there is a Google Doodle page, which I'll link to as well, that has all of them listed. And then obviously I'll include links to some of the other ones we mentioned with uh, Stephen Hawking and, and the others too. So uh, this has been brilliant. I, I mean, I could speak to you for hours. I know you're a man with, with uh, a tight timeline. So I do appreciate you putting the time aside and I do appreciate you sharing all these stories and experiences and wisdom. Uh, I think the listener is going to appreciate this.
1: Thank you so much, and hopefully I can get up to Canada at some point. I'd love to uh, catch up with you and meet you face-to-face, but thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: That's, that's awesome. If you do make it here, I'm going to give you some homemade maple syrup that you can bring back. So. <laughs> perfect, perfect. That's awesome. Thank you, Matthew. Have a good one. Show notes, including links to everything Matthew and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm/77. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help service the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.